Hello, and welcome to another episode of What Sports. This is your host, Mike Jones, here with you. And damn, wow, great games going on in the NBA bubble, in NHL bubbles, and specifically for Colorado sports fans. Um, I mean, the headliner right now, at least. The Denver Nuggets, after falling down 3-1 to one in their series, have completed the comeback and moved on to the second round, taking on the L.A. Clippers. Going to be a tough matchup, but we'll talk about that in a second. Then up in Edmonton in the NHL bubble, your Colorado Avalanche falling down, unfortunately, in their own 3-1 hole and just last night forced a Game 7 themselves. Are we going to have two teams here in Colorado coming back from a 3-1 deficit? Something that does not happen very often at all. And to have two of them do it in the same city, that would be epic. Answer to that doesn't come until tomorrow, and the timing for that is still be to be determined because we have a... Game 6 between Vegas and Vancouver going on later on tonight. And um, there's also the Rockies. We'll touch on them briefly. Um, Not a lot of great news coming out of Coors Field lately. Uh, If you have a sense of humor, there's some some comical comical games going on if if you don't want to cry about it. But we'll start off talking about NHL and specifically off the bat about the Colorado Avalanche. They started a series back on back last week against Dallas and actually it's technically two weeks ago now. But started this against Dallas, lost the first two games. Um, really not all that uh, didn't look all that good to be honest with you, and even more troubling is in the first game. First game we end up losing three to five against Dallas, but the most troubling part of that is um, well we lose Grubauer potentially for the entire playoff set. Um, He's now left the bubble, so it's a potential that he's not going to return at all. But we lose him early on in that. Uh, Frankie, he comes in. He doesn't do all that great. And to be honest, I've been a Francis fan. Uh, I've kind of said that maybe he should be starting over Grubauer. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's not right at all, um, based on what we have seen, because naturally with Grubauer out, we have had a large dose of Francis, and including, you know, giving up five goals in game two against Dallas, uh, four in the second period alone, uh, not, not looking Great, and then in game three uh, was was a win. Nonetheless, gave up four goals in that one. Four goals. 
Colorado just happened to have scored six to really <laughs> to be able to win that one, including uh, Kadri continuing to have a stellar postseason, in particular on the power play, and kind of the only way that our power play has looked good at all in the playoffs. Um, we followed that up with this past uh, Sunday, Monday, had a back-to-back, a new thing for playoffs just because they're trying to get more games in. On Sunday, we ended up losing a heartbreaker to Dallas. A uh, heartbreaker in the fact that we came back in this game. We were down 3 nothing early. 3 nothing early. Uh, again, Frankie in net. Uh, not looking good. But we climb back in this game. Okay. Climb back in this game. We end up scoring, scoring, scoring. And we just can't finish it off. Uh, end up losing this 4-5. to five. Actually, the first instance of us seeing Hutchinson between the pipes. And uh, Hutchie there, three saves on three shot attempts. So, for limited action, he saw perfect. Uh, there was actually a goal in this game. I believe it was their fifth and final goal. It may have been their fourth goal. But, um, no, I'm pretty sure it was their fifth. Where uh, Kale McCarr, as good as he's been in these playoffs, he had a boo-boo and a big one at that. Um, went, uh, Francis went behind the net, stopped it, kind of passed it off to Kale. A uh, very routine play you see in the NHL. And Kale just completely misplays it. Uh, ends up basically pat, doing a soft pass out to the front of the net for Dallas to just do an easy, easy cleanup into an open net. And that was just kind of comical in a depressing way. But then you get to Monday. Game series online. We are down 3 to 1 in this series. And how do. The Avs respond, not one, not two, not three, not four, but five goals in the opening period. Opening period, we score five goals, including four in about two and a half minutes of game time. Belmar opened it up four and a half minutes into the game. Burkowski, 11, almost 12 minutes in. McKinnon with a goal. Kadri with a goal. Rantanen with a goal. 5-0 we end the first period. Uh, we do, by we, I should point out, at this point it is Hutchinson between the pipes for Colorado. Um, it's the first game he started... Uh, Frankie has been deemed unfit to play at the moment. Unsure when we'll see him again. Um, we will talk a little bit more of that in just a minute. But you give up a couple of goals in the second period to make it, I guess, interesting. You're talking about a 5-2 game. 
we have a three goal lead at that time and but Burkowski comes in makes it six to two and really it was just about holding on to that lead in the third period Avs did not add on anything but they only gave up one more goal and it's really inconsequential um and it was Burkowski got the First star of the game, Kinnan got the second star of the game. And one thing, even though we won this game 6-3, to three, one thing I want to point out, because it's looking at the stats overall in the bubble, it kind of surprises me. But uh, how well, apparently, they've been doing. Because in this series, Colorado has been awful on the power play. 0 for 6 in this game alone. 0 for 6. And then last night, Colorado again. Series is now 3 to 2. Still, your playoff lives on the line. And go out there, give up the first goal of the game to Heskinen. Uh, but didn't look back after that. Pouring in four after that. Zadorov actually. Zadorov. Whew, he's been somebody who has looked bad at times. But he has really come through in some key moments. And overall, I've been really happy with what I've seen from Big Z. He scored a goal in this game. Uh, third goal of the playoffs, I believe his second goal in this series. Uh, McCarr adds another goal in the second period. Rantanen and McKinnon really um, close it out in the third. McKinnon's was an empty net goal, but still counts as a goal. Uh, so in this game, <coughs> only one goal allowed. Um for Hutchinson, that was a 9.64 save percentage in this game. I want to talk about Hutchinson real quick because he's going to be a big part of the Colorado Avalanche going forward if they're going to do, um, if they're going to be able to succeed because there's no indication that Frankie's going to be back for Game Seven. Hutchinson, uh, 30-year-old goaltender he has some experience uh really primarily in winnipeg he had three seasons where he got a good amount of um good amount of experience really only one season that i would look at and say he had a good season in 2000 in the 2014 2015 season he had a goals allowed average of 238 but only a 9.14 save percentage. You look over the course of his career, he's never been all that good. Uh, so to rely on him going into Game 7 does give me some pause for concern. But if you just look at it in this very small sample size of what he's able to accomplish in these playoffs, which, by the way, these three games he's played this year, his only playoff experience in his entire career has come this year. And 
two of these games in win-or-go-home fashion. Okay. He, right now, in these playoffs, has a 186 goals allowed average with a 938 save percentage. That is really good. Now, a lot of that's because the team in front of him are playing the best hockey possibly that they've played the entire playoffs this year. So that, that is a huge part of it. But nonetheless, if you look at this, um, I'm going to throw out the first game, three for three, whatever. Uh, but he saw 34 shot attempts on him in his first game against Dallas. He did give up three goals on that. But when you're talking about your first real action in an NHL playoff game, I understand there's no crowd. There, there's not that kind of buzz being fed to you. But it's a win-or-go-home situation regardless of whether or not there's a crowd there. There is still that immense pressure on you to save the season for a team that came in with not just, you know, happy-to-be-there kind of mindset. A team that came in with Stanley Cup aspirations. That is immense pressure to put on somebody in their first start in an NHL playoff game. And came out there and did an admirable job. Second game. Again, I, I, I want to keep hammering this home. But another win or go home situation. Hutchinson goes out there, only allows one goal. And it was early. It was the first goal of the game. Which is also huge in my book. Because you go out there in a do or die situation. And you are the first one to let a goal get past them just the mental check you gotta make there of okay there's one it, it, I can't let this get away from me it would be so easy to just get down after that you know we're, we're already in a hole we're in a hole in the series and I just let us get in a hole in this game and then just check out but he didn't do that after that Perfect for the rest of the game. Only 28 shots allowed. So, like, he wasn't under a huge amount of shooting pressure. But still, whether it's 28 or 48, you've got to make the saves, and he did. That brings him, like I mentioned before, to a 186 goals allowed average in these playoffs. Do I think he can continue that? Probably not. Is it? Do I think he can maybe finish out this season, this series, and at least get us on to the next one? I think there's a good chance of that, especially considering how well the team is playing in front of him. Uh, speaking of the players playing in front of him, McKinnon is having a bonkers playoff run here. He is at 25 points in these playoffs. 25 points. Now, for reference, I, I, you've probably seen this somewhere already, but he's already scored more points in this playoffs than O'Reilly did on the Stanley Cup winning team, St. Louis Blues, last season. So that's just that's kind of mind-boggling there. 
Now, if we were to win tomorrow night, go on to the Western Conference Finals. Let's say we win that, too. Go on to the Stanley Cup Finals. Just thinking about where he is in the grand scheme of things. Right now, he's tied for 73rd all-time in playoff points in a single playoff series. Or single playoffs. You just, you know, say he scores... Six more goals. Gets up to 31 points. Or uh, gets six more points. Not necessarily all goals. But that takes him all the way up to 21st all time. He is 10 points away from being 8th all time. Now, now 10 points, that's, that's a large ask. But if the Avalanche are going to make it deeper into these playoffs, if they're going to really push what whoever wins the other half of the bracket in the Western Conference in the next round, McKinnon's going to have to play big. He's going to be productive. He's going to have to be. So talking about him getting into top 10 all time as far as playoff production in a single season is not crazy to think about. Now, Wayne Gretzky... Um, has four out of five of the top five production output. Uh, number one being 47 in a single uh, season. Not necessarily thinking Ken's going to reach that, but hey, yeah, he could. You know, he's got potentially 15 more games to go. You know, hold out hope. But then on the on the defensive side of things. Another player for the Avs is having a stellar playoff. Kale McCarr has set the record for most points in a postseason by a rookie defenseman. Um, He's technically, he's one point ahead of Quinn Hughes, who is still going as well. Plays tonight uh, for Vancouver against the Golden Knights. So there's a chance he could get caught tonight. And if... Vancouver wins tonight will be an interesting sort of uh, back and forth potentially between these two for who ends up with the record. But nonetheless, 15 points for a rookie defenseman. I know he he played in the playoffs last year, but he's still a rookie. He did not – that experience, very beneficial for him. But I'm sure – I'm sure this this postseason is a completely different experience for him. So talking about stats for this playoff stretch here, um, leading the NHL in points, obviously, is Nathan McKinnon. Number two, though, is Miko Rantanen uh, at 20 points. Number two on the list. Uh, Kadri's down at sixth with... Uh, with 16, which I'm, which five of those are play are power play goals. Goal wise, McKinnon is leading with nine goals. He's also actually leading with 16 assists as well. Kadri is just one goal behind McKinnon at eight goals, and Rantanen is down there at seven goals this postseason. 
As far as assists go, McCarr and Landeskog are second in line for Colorado at 11 assists apiece. Uh, plus minus, we have McKinnon and McCarr leading the pack at 1 and 2 at plus 13 and plus 12, respectively. And Kadri leading all NHL players in playoff power play goals. Again, somewhat um, surprisingly, uh, just how bad this power play has been really against Dallas. Uh, moving on to the goalies, though, because it is kind of interesting to me as far as players who have um, who have more than just a spot start. Uh, Hutchinson is actually third on the list right now, or fourth on the list, as far as say or goals allowed average at 186. Varlamov, uh, former Av, obviously, is killing it with the Islanders with an 185 uh, goal allowed average. 185. He is he has nine wins in these playoffs already. Killing it over there. Uh, save percentage wise, Hutchinson is just he's. Really right up there as far as active <laughs> active goalies still. Goalies that are still around. But this is what I wanted to get at and what I've hinted at a little bit is the power play percentage. Colorado is at 22 basically. 22% on the power play. That is just bad. And it's because you have outings like 0 for 6 two games ago. 0 for, I think they ended up 0 for 4 in this last game on the power play. And it really looks like they're just being too pass happy. And I don't quite understand why. Uh, when you've got some snipers out there like McKinnon, you got Rantanen, you've got McCarr. Those three dudes alone, and that's not even talking about the the power play goal leader Kadri on the second unit those guys alone should be good for a pretty decent power play and yet we're sitting down here at 22% on the power play it's just ooh kind of frustrating but then you look at on the flip side the Dallas Stars have an 82.8 penalty kill percentage like that is really good, only really behind the Knights and the Bruins as far as still active teams uh, on the penalty kill. Another one that has really surprised me, because whenever I'm watching an Avs game, I always feel like they're getting killed in the face-off circle. They're actually technically above 50% on face-off win percentage at 50.6%. Kind of mind-blowing to me because that's not what my eyes tell me when I'm watching them. But you look at Vancouver, actually, and who trying to push it to a Game 7 tonight, pulling for them. They're actually at a 55.3% on the face-offs. 
that's that is nice right there. That is nice. Overall, only one ticket has been punched to conference finals so far. The Tampa Bay Lightning with a 4-1 series win over Boston. Really disappointed in what Boston had done in these playoffs. Uh, yes, they handled Carolina, but that's not overly impressive. Like Carolina, good team, but they're not one of those contending teams out east. So didn't just just to get dominated in the series four to one. Now the games were close. I mean the 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 game game five that Tampa Bay ended up winning it on. Uh, was an overtime game. So the games themselves were close, but I just I thought Boston would win more than just one game in the conference semifinals. Uh, staying in the East, the Islanders are up 3-2 on the Flyers. Like I mentioned, a huge part of that is just how good Varley has been for the Islanders. They would not be even in the semifinals, in my opinion, if it wasn't for Varley kind of just standing on his head. And they're there after a 4-1 to series win over the Washington Capitals. Islanders, probably the... Well, Vancouver is very much a team that was not supposed to be here. But they're kind of... Dangerous right now, just because of how Varley has been playing. Uh, bring it out west. Vancouver is playing game six. Mentioned this against Vegas. Ooh, I'm pulling for Vancouver to push us at least to game seven. Overall, it'd be nice if Vancouver was somehow able to pull it out. Because even though they're playing really well, I mean, they took down the defending Stanley Cup champions in the St. Louis Blues 4-2 in the first round. But I just matchup-wise, would much rather end up playing Vancouver. Not to mention just the storyline. You're talking about Hughes and McCarr going for record of you know, playoff points by a rookie defenseman, and you have them going head-to-head in the conference finals. That would be epic. First things first, Colorado's got to make it there, but just looking around, trying to paint myself my perfect picture, it would be Vancouver and Colorado facing off. I don't think Vancouver's going to get it done. Quite honestly, if I had to put money on it, I would say Vegas ends that series tonight. Hopefully not, but that's what I think is going to happen. Um, It would also be kind of nice if Vancouver would win tonight just to push to Game 7, just so Colorado ends up most likely in the later time slot tomorrow instead of an earlier time slot. And that's just for my own selfish reasons, because I have work, and if they're in the later time slot, that chance I get to actually pay attention to some of the game. On the Eastern side of things, with how how hot Varley has been, it's hard to bet against the Islanders. I think they're going to end up winning that series. Uh, you know, I'll go ahead and say they end it tonight and, to, and move on to take on Tampa Bay. But honestly, I think Tampa Bay is going to beat either one of those teams and go on to the finals. 
they've been really good for a while now, and it's doesn't seem like it's going to be ending this year. But all that is kind of secondary. First things first, the Avs need to win tomorrow night and be the second team to complete a 3-1 comeback for Colorado. First team, your Denver Nuggets. Wow. Such intense games, too. They ended up taking on Utah and pushing it all the way to Game 7, which was on Tuesday. They won the first game of the series in overtime. Completely dominated overtime. Uh, won that game 135-125. A little bit of high scoring, but um, quite honestly, Denver for the first four games in particular, did not really play much defense. So, But they dominated overtime. It really kind of felt like maybe, you know, they had figured something out there at the end and would be able to carry that momentum on in the series. And that is not what happened. Game two. Lost 124-105. to 105. Um, actually, you know what? Let's let's take a look at game one real quick, just for a couple. I just want to throw out a couple individual stat lines. Uh, Jokic, big part of the overtime, really. He kind of took that over and took it over late in the game. Um, Twenty nine points, ten rebounds. Murray, thirty six points, nine assists, and five rebounds. I just want to throw those stats out there in particular. And on the flip side of things for Utah, because this was a big part of the national storyline in this, in particular was Murray Mitchell going head-to-head. Mitchell, in a loss, dropped 57 points. 57 points. Game 2 was a loss for the Nuggets, 124-105. to 105. In this game, though, Jokic 28, 6, and 11. Uh, Murray was not really all that present in this game. Porter was actually tied for Jokic at leading scorer with 28 points. Uh, and Donovan Mitchell put up 30 points in this game. So tied 1 to 1. Kind of a letdown after that great. Overtime victory, really dominating them overtime. I can't say that enough. And in the letdown, game two. So game three, what are the Nuggets going to do? They aren't even going to show up to the court, really. End up losing this game 124-87. to Yeah, that 37 points lost this game by. 37. And I'll look, I'll give you the stats, I mean, just, just because, but Jokic, 15, 6, and 5, Murray, 12, 6, and 5, and quite honestly, nobody looked good. So now, Nuggets are down 2-1 to one in the series. You kind of feel like this next game, after not even showing up, you know, you're going to get Denver's 
best effort in this next game. And you got a lot better effort out of them. A lot better effort. And they still lose 127 to 129. Another high scoring game. And it just kind of felt like no matter what you did, you could not stop Utah on the offensive side of the court. This was a game Murray dropped 50 points in this game. Losing effort, but Murray dropped 50. He was huge, especially down the stretch. Jokic, 29.6 assists, 7 rebounds. And I keep throwing the Jokic lines out there because I'll get to that later. Because really, Murray is who was kept, who was grabbing the headlines. But after putting forth such a good game, and then you lose by two points in what felt like had to have been their best effort. I mean, way better than what they did the game before. It just kind of felt, if I'm going to be honest, kind of felt like it was, it was done. I mean, you go from not even showing up, getting completely humiliated, coming back, really trying, you still can't beat them. And you're down 3-1 to one in the series. I don't know if you can get much lower than that. But what did the Denver Nuggets do? They responded. Game 5 in the series. They win 117 to 107, including outscoring the Jazz by 14 points in the fourth quarter. And this is when you really started to see a turn, in particular, on the defensive end of things. All in all, in the second half of this game, gave up 44 points. 44 in the second half. There were adjustments made, and to some extent, really, they just weren't hitting threes at the same clip that they had been, which was phenomenal for them. Jokic in this game, 31 points, 4 assists, 6 rebounds. Murray, 42 points. This is coming after a 50-point game. 8-8. Eight and eight. In particular, Jokic in that first quarter was awesome. 21 points in the first quarter, including uh, at the end of the quarter, this really off-balance kind of desperation heave to beat the buzzer, and it goes in. Jokic in that first quarter was just amazing. Uh, 21 of the 33 points for him in that first quarter. So you get that, you're kind of like, wow, we that's something. But you still have to win two more games in a row here. And in the back of my head, at least, it was kind of, did they really figure something out there defensively? Or did they just string together a few good possessions? So game six. And obviously talk was already about this. I didn't even give you the stat line for uh, Mitchell in these games. Mitchell put up, where was it? So in the heartbreaking two-point loss to the Jazz, Mitchell dropped 51 points in that game. Then we come back, we have the 10-point victory, 
after the great performance from Jokic in the early parts. Um, Murray, 42. By the way, in that previous game, Murray and Mitchell, both 50-point games. I believe that was only the second time in NBA history that has happened in the playoffs. But in game six there, Mitchell dropped 30 points. I'm sorry, game five. In game six, Mitchell, in response to Murray's 50-point game, Mitchell has a 44-point game. So all this talk is Murray-Mitchell, Murray-Mitchell. How, which team's going to actually get a stop? Which team's going to actually, you know, get at least enough stops to win this? Because now momentum is fully in Denver's court. And after winning game six, 119 to 107, another double-digit victory for the Nuggets. With, again, a 50-point game from Jamal Murray. This 50, 50, 42-50, I believe, was the the stat line for Murray in that three-game stretch. Ridiculous amount of points put together by Murray in a three-game stretch. Jokic put up 22 points in that game. So who's going to stop those? Which team's going to step up defensively? And Game 7 comes, and, um, oh, I guess you could say both teams showed up. Final score ended up being 78-80. to 80. Now, I, I, I tweeted out there, and I just had this feeling as hot as Murray had been, it was going to be Jokic who came up clutch in this game and really put the team on his back. I thought he'd lead the team in scoring and get a triple-double. I ended up being a little short on that uh, triple-double. He scored 30 points, 14 boards, only 4 assists, though. And that was partially because uh, nobody was really hitting shots. Uh, Murray, even, as hot as he had been, only 33% from the floor in this game, including 1 of 6 from beyond the arc. Uh, Some of that had to do with the fact that... Um, he got, by Ingles, he got a need in the quad, and it definitely appeared like he kind of lost a step after that, that Charlie Horse really kind of hampered his game after that. But they complete it. 80-78, they complete a 3-1 series comeback, and damn, it was intense at the end of that game. You're talking about, it's a two-point game. Utah has the ball. They have the ball. It is in Mitchell's hands. And one of the biggest heroes to save this series, Gary Harris, who came back, returned to the team in Game 6, and his defensive presence, so underrated for this team, but it was hugely evident in that last, well, Second to last possession for Utah. Because he pokes the ball out from behind of Donovan Mitchell while he's driving to the basket to try to tie the game. Nuggets get it. They go on a fast break. Um, Murray has it. He's taking it down the court. And he dishes it off to Craig. 
surprisingly, nobody fouled uh, from Utah, but Craig puts it up and um, doesn't make him pay for it. He misses the layup. It was almost the biggest blunder you could imagine because then Utah comes down the court. Okay, they get the ball into Conley's hands. Conley, who has been really hot shooting from outside, Conley doesn't just take a shot to tie the game. He puts up a three-pointer. If this goes in, game over, Utah wins. It goes in, and it comes out. It was, it was in, like, majority of the ball inside the hoop. But it came back out. And Denver wins game seven. Jokic. Oh, Jokic in this game. 30 points in this game. Which, um, considering the Nuggets only put up 80 points, dropping 30, huge, huge, huge. Um, Porter, MPJ, another bit of a storyline in this game because he was really getting, or not in this game, in this series. He was really getting attacked early on in the series. I really felt like he improved at least his defensive awareness as the series went on. And they were able to actually leave him on the court a little bit more because he wasn't such a liability. He almost had a double-double in the first half. I believe he ended the first half uh, 10-8. and eight. He did not really play in the second half. Uh, ended with a 10-9. and nine. In this next series, I would imagine I'm, we're going to see a bit more of Michael Porter Jr. But again, Gary Harris, his defense... And just the burst it gives to him. Because not only was Donovan Mitchell going off, but Jordan Clarkson had been going off as far as secondary scoring goes for the Jazz. And when Gary Harris returned, you hardly heard a peep out of Clarkson on the court. It, I can't overemphasize enough the difference having Gary on the court purely defensively means for this Nuggets. And when you're talking about a team that has Murray, who with this series has put his name firmly in star category. If he was to have this sort of production, you know, averaging 30 points a game in the next series against the Clippers, especially if we were to win that series then you'd have to talk about him as potentially a superstar. But right now, he, he's he's firmly a star after this series. And you have Jokic, top five player in the NBA. His offense, his mind and how it works offensively, and his passing and his shot, fantastic offensive player there. And then you have the budding Michael Porter Jr., who has possibly the prettiest shot I have ever seen. When you have those guys out there on the court, it's okay to have somebody who is not great offense. And right now, Gary Harris is not even good offense. 
Uh, hopefully he can get to good offense here in the next series and kind of get a rhythm back. But he was not good offense in the two games he played. And it doesn't matter because of the difference in the impact he makes defensively far outweighs his, the drawbacks to him offensively. Moving on and kind of looking at as a whole, okay, Murray obviously was the headliner of this series. Uh, he, he, Murray, averaging 31.6 points a game in this series, 31.6. That is fantastic. But if you look at the next line down, Jokic averaging 26.3 points. He's aver- he averaged more points per game in the series than he did last playoffs. But you don't hear about that, and people look at it and are saying, oh, Jokic is down. Jokic isn't playing great. And it's not that. It- it's not. Jokic is still playing great on the offensive end. He, he definitely was not great early on in the series defensively. But offensively, he was he's still great in this series. 26.3, 8.1 rebounds per game, and 5.4 assists. When you have somebody else who is completely dominating their matchup, it's okay to defer to that. It's not like Jokic was going out there averaging a mere 26 points per game. When they were losing, and there and nobody else is stepping up, he was having that output output with Murray averaging 31.6 points a game. Jokic, and part of what makes him so great offensively, is he sees the game different than almost any other player. In the NBA. He sees it in such a way. That he's playing chess out there. And he's able to do that. And really take advantage. Of the game that Jamal Murray is in. Jokic is not a. I I can't emphasize how much. I love the combination of Jokic and Murray. Because Jokic. Is is a completely different type of player than Jamal Murray. I mean, physically, obviously, and just the way they approach the game, too. And you need both of them. Because Jokic, top five player in the NBA. He does things on the court pretty much nobody else can do. But then you have Murray out there, who may not be as good as Jokic, but he... He's a firecracker. He is that emotional just charge for this team. And you put those two together and you get them both going. That is just an amazing combination. So I, early on in the series, there was a lot of talk of what Denver needs to do to actually be a a, competitor. a competitor in the West. A lot of it emphasized was about, you know, Ben Simmons out of Philly 
mostly for his defensive abilities. And I would not do a one-for-one trade, Murray, for Simmons. No way in hell would I do that. Nationally, people may love Simmons, and I think he's a really good player. Fit on this team, I don't know that there is... There's not many players in the NBA as a whole that I would rather pair next to Jokic than Murray. Obviously, there's some, but there's not a lot. I love that combination. Jokic, quiet, in the background in this series, still had a great series as a whole. You can't do this, but I'm going to say it anyways. If you were able to just have this be a five-game series, as far as taking out games two and especially three, then you'd be talking about just great performances from the Nuggets as a whole. Obviously, you can't do that. That is part of the whole story, that game three, but it's that is such a stark contrast to how the rest of the games were. That is such an outlier. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., uh, in this series, only averaged 12 points a game. He was actually the third leading scorer on average in this series. And, actually, and second leading rebounder on average. Um, but I also want to talk percentages real quick before we move on and talk about the upcoming series. Jamal Murray, not only was he putting up huge point numbers he did it efficiently 55 percent from the field 53 percent from beyond the arc and 92 free throw percentage 92 53 55 and Jokic, even with him having offensive woes going up against gobert which we'll talk about in a second, his matchup, so much more advantageous against the Clippers. So much more advantageous. Um, but in this game, in this series, going up against a two-time defensive player of the year, dude, uh, 51.5% from the field, 47.8 from beyond the arc, and then, you know, 84.6 free throw percentage. He still was extremely efficient offensively. A 2.4 assist-to-turnover ratio. Murray, a 3.1 assist-to-turnover ratio. Uh, only beat out by Morris, who had a 6.0, but that, that's Morris. That, that's his whole shtick, if you will. That's what makes him one of the best backup point guards in the entire NBA is his assist-to-turnover ratio. So, Jokic had a very tough matchup in this series. He's not going to have that going up against the Clippers. Um, there, there's nobody on the Clippers I can think of that can really match up that I'd be intimidated at all 
talking about Jokic going up against. Um, and Murray's, I'm assuming, going to have a extremely tough matchup going on in this one because I'm assuming he's going to end up with Kawhi on him, if not Kawhi, uh, Paul George. Two guys who have been Defensive Player of the Year winners and um, really finalists, at least, for a large part of their career. Kawhi is leading that team with 32.8 points per game. Paul George is second, all the way down to 18.5. So you're talking about a large discrepancy between the between first and second there. Uh, Kawhi is actually also leading the team in rebounds. Only person averaging double-digit rebounds. And in assists at 5.2. And in steals at 2.3. Uh, he's not leading in blocks, though. He only is averaging half a block per game, where uh, Harrell is averaging 0.8 blocks per game. So, you look down the list. Zubak gets a lot. Zubak and, um, and Harrell are really the guys that will probably be inside the most uh, matched up with Jokic. Zubak gets the start uh, at center most of the time, and he's got the size. He He's going to get owned, I would suspect, in this series. You know what? We're, we're talking about it. So looking at their matchups, they matched up once in the seeding games. Um, they lost 111-124. Jeremy Grant was actually who led the Nuggets in scoring with 25 points. In that game, Paul George, Kawhi, and Lou Williams all scored over 20 points as well. But it's also a game in which they were still missing Gary Harris and Will Barton. Will Barton's probably not going to be back for the series, but they were missing Gary Harris. Uh, It was a very different lineup than what you're going to see going forward in this series. The first time that these teams met, was uh, way back in January. Damn, that's like almost a year ago now. Um, and they actually won that game 114 to 104. Jokic led them in points with 20, followed by Murray at 19. Um, on the flip side of things, Leonard dropped 30. This was a game, though, that did not feature Paul George. On February 28th, when they met up again, um, did not go well. Uh, lost 103 to 132. Had both Paul George and Kawhi available, and and they just dominated. I will point out though, although Jokic led the team with 21 points, Grant was second with 20 points. So I don't know if there might be something there as far as Grant being able having a a matchup that he can take advantage of in those games. And it's something that we will watch play out over the next six games, seven games. And I, of course, could dive into all their per-game averages and stuff. Uh, But if you're listening to this, wanting to pull for the Nuggets, um, they're just kind of 
not encouraging. Uh, <laughs> they average about five more points per game. They average three more boards per game. The Nuggets actually average three more assists per game, which makes sense. You're talking about a team that is very team friendly, uh, and you're going to. That's just how it's going to be on a Jokic-led team. It's never going to be a selfish ISO-based type of game, like you see with the Houston Rockets. I'll say. Um, so overall in this series, like I said, I, I Murray's going to have a lot tougher time, a lot tougher matchup in this one, going up against either Kawhi or Paul George or maybe uh, Beverly at points. If Beverly ends up playing this, he is a tenacious defender as well, and you know a good size matchup on Murray. Really, if the Nuggets are going to win this series, if they're going to win, you know, three game, three, four games against the Clippers, Jokic is going to have to show up and Jokic is going to have to take over. In the series against the Jazz, the matchup the most favorable matchup was for Murray. That is not going to be the case in this one. And I expect to see Jokic show up and just dominate as much as he can. It's going to be... Murray's still going to get his shots when he can. But he's... I would not expect him to average 30 points. Um... Three points a game in this series. Jokic could very well average a triple-double in this series. And I think he'll need to for the Nuggets to be able to really push the Clippers in this one. Because, to be honest, the Clippers are my my pick to win the, win the championship. So, if I'm being realistic, I don't... I'm not, I would not favor the Nuggets in this series. And I think most people, if you look at it objectively, you're not going to favor the Nuggets in this series. But a couple things to their benefit is, you know, Paul George has not looked great in the playoffs. He, he hasn't. Um, Kawhi has, but Paul George has not. Patrick Beverly has not played a lot. His availability is in question going forward. And just not having a good matchup against Jokic. Those, those are the things that I'm going to look at and I'm going to really hang my hat on, I guess. Uh, looking for ways that Denver can win this. Um, for the Nuggets, though... Jeremy Grant has shown that he can perform in games against them, as we as we talked about. So if if Jeremy Grant can continue that and kind of be that third piece on that offense, that would be huge. Because he's it, it's crazy how lightly guarded he gets defended, especially on the outside for 
someone who actually shoots at a very good percentage from beyond the arc. Uh, and I want to see how MPJ responds uh, in a series where he really saw his minutes and his role diminished as the games went on uh, because of his lack of know-how on the defensive side. So going into another series, a series quite honestly where the players he would most likely be matched up against directly are the most dangerous players on the opposing team. Uh, when you're talking about Paul George and Kawhi. So what sort of role is he going to have in this series? And Gary Harris, has he returned? Is he in good enough shape? Um, considering he didn't play at all in the seeding games, he hasn't played a game since March. Is he going to find himself in that starting lineup? Regardless, he's going to be a huge part of the Nuggets' game plan against the Clippers, undoubtedly. And really, I guess it doesn't matter who technically gets the start. But if I'm putting my best five forward, Gary Harris is one of them. And who's not one of them is Paul Millsap. Um, he's one of the guys that is... A Malone type player in the fact that you know he's a veteran. He is he he makes his plays on the defensive side of things, and yet he has not shown up in the playoffs this year. So I would diminish his role greatly, and I would definitely take him out of the starting lineup. He already doesn't close games. But with him out there on the court to start games, has been putting the Nuggets in a hole early. Roll out there with Murray, Harris, Jeremy Grant, Jokic, and then I would probably roll with Torrey Craig. Match Torrey Craig up on Kawhi as much as possible. Because uh, Torrey Craig has been... He's had some success matched up against Kawhi. Nobody's going to be able to shut down Kawhi, but he may be our best matchup for him. And MPJ is going to should play a huge role off the bench, uh, providing that secondary scoring for them. So I think this series goes six. And, I, and if I'm going to be completely objective, I say the Clippers win this in six. It is not impossible for the Nuggets to win this. I, I would not say that. I mean, Dallas took them to six. Dallas. The Nuggets are better than Dallas. The Mavericks took it to six largely without Kristaps Porzingis. Yes, Doncic is really good. But the Nuggets are a better team. So I, I think the Nuggets will take this to six. I think they could take it to seven. And they could win the series. I just wouldn't bet my money on it. But I am so excited to watch it. Uh, staying in the West, the Lakers last night finally found out who they'll be playing in the semifinals. 
taking on Houston, who won Game 7 against OKC last night in um, a very tightly contested game. Harden, if Westbrook did not come back, I'm not sure. I don't think the Rockets would have advanced. Uh, Harden, in particular, last night did not play well. And I think... Obviously, the Lakers are just going to be even tougher for them. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know if the I don't know if the Rockets will even push this to a game six. Um, I'm gonna say it will be six, and the Lakers win it. But that's mostly just because Harden is likely to go off in a game or two and just take over. So, Lakers, though, undoubtedly, in my mind, are going to advance. Um, which would set up probably the best storyline for this playoffs, as far as the national perspective. Um, Lakers and Clippers facing off, you know, LA v. LA in the Western Conference Finals. Obviously not what I'm rooting for, but it would be a great story. On the Eastern side of things... Kind of, well, not kind of, but definitely surprisingly, to me at least, Milwaukee finds themselves already in a 2-0 hole against Miami. Uh, Miami, who swept Indiana, hasn't lost a game yet in the, in the playoffs. Going up 2-0 on Milwaukee. I mean, Jimmy Butler in that first game played fantastic. I would have said Milwaukee in six. With Miami going up 2-0 already, I'm going to say Milwaukee in seven. A uh, little revisionist history, I guess. But hey, my show, I can do what I want. And then on the other side, Boston and Toronto. Boston's already up 2-0 in that series. Uh, I would have said Boston in five. I'm going to stay with Boston with five, in five. Toronto's just not as deep as uh, Toronto's not as deep as Boston, and in my in my opinion, Boston is the best team in the East. I'm I'm picking Boston to come out of it, no matter who they end up playing out of the other side. If it's Milwaukee, Boston, Boston in seven. If it's Miami, Boston, Boston in six. Well, that kind of does it for the NBA. Again, super, super pumped about coming back from a 3-1 deficit for the Denver Nuggets. That was so exhilarating. Hopefully, tomorrow night, we get the same kind of exhilarating performance out of the Avs and become what could very well be the first sports town in history to have two teams in the same playoff season come back from 3-1 deficits. And now I said I would touch on the uh, Colorado Rockies. Um, last night came back for a 9-6 victory over the Giants, but um, unfortunately that comes after a game in which the Rockies lost 
23 to 5. Yes, that, that's 23 to 5. Yowzers. Um, actually, the only the only player to have pitched in that game for Colorado to have not given up a run. Oh, he actually ended up giving up a run late in that. Uh, I was going to say it was uh, Butiera, the catcher. He actually did end up giving up one run in his one and two-thirds innings pitched. Bummer. But it was probably the most efficient pitcher in that game for the Rockies. Uh, this means that the Rockies are now under 500 at 18 and 19. Although, right now, if the playoffs were to start, uh, the Rockies would be the 8th seed. They still have a half game up on the Giants. So, playoff hopes are still alive. And um, NFL season is coming around. Next week, we will have the NFL preview show that will be exciting, and we'll talk about the Broncos' chances of making the playoffs. And as Philip Lindsay said, he does not want to be on the only Colorado team to n- not be in the postseason. If the Rockies don't uh, right the ship a little bit here, they wouldn't be the only ones. But I digress. Uh, that's going to do it for today's show. Would love to talk some more Rockies, just don't have the time for it. And quite frankly, the headliners right now are the Pepsi Center Twins and their playoff pushes, especially coming back from 3-1 holes in their series. My name's Mike Jones. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at AKCoachJones. I will be back next week. Stay classy, y'all.